Very good morning to you all. Very wonderful to be able to gather together um, as saints and to worship God together. What a great way to start the weekend, hey? This is where it really starts. The week ahead starts today because we get to worship the Lord. Um, and it really is a, an exciting Sunday in that we get to launch our evening service today. Um, and so some of, the, some of the numbers lack this morning is because uh, folk are going to be joining this evening. Um, so it's just really exciting and a great um, uh, celebration for us as we endeavor to follow the Lord and to uh, see what He has to say. And as He says, let's multiply and uh, see more opportunity for people to come to know the Lord. We walk in obedience. Uh, and it's just really exciting to be able to do that together as a community. Yes, see the Lord at work, and He is mightily at work. Um, and this morning, as we consider the Lord and consider all that He is about, um, we are kicking off a series called The Gospel Basics. Uh, essentially, it is looking at Hebrews 6, the first two verses, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2, which says, Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic or the elementary teachings or the doctrines or the principles about Christ, and not laying again the foundation, which is repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction and baptisms, uh, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so we're going to be looking at those over the upcoming next two months, uh, and just looking at what it is that God has to say to us through that. Um, and the idea is twofold. The hope for us is twofold. And the first one is that it'll be an opportunity for us to return to the foundations of our faith. Um, it is always good every once in a while for those who own homes to look again and inspect whether there are any cracks that are beginning to show. Um, and it's good for us to, within our faith and our walk with the Lord, to just look at the foundations once again. Um, it's kind of that, uh, remind me again why we're doing all of this. Remind me, Lord, why I'm walking with you again. Uh, just remind me what this uh, faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Um, but secondly, is to equip us with the basics of the gospel. That for those who are hurting and seeking a savior and a comforter, uh, that we'd be able to offer them the simple, basic gospel message. Uh, this is not a complex gospel message, right? It's supposed to be simple. That's why it's good news for common folk like us, um, that it would be a simple message that there is salvation found in Jesus and in no one else. And uh, Celia just quoted that scripture this morning just so wonderfully that we're saved through faith by the grace of God. It's a free gift given to us, not by our works, but he has prepared works for us to do. Um, and so that's just a wonderful uh, understanding of what that simple, basic gospel message is, so that when you're sitting with friends who are in need of a Savior, that you're able to convey this gospel message, that we have these shoes of the readiness of the gospel are ready for us to share this gospel message. Um, and so as we engage with these things, uh, we want to be able to ask the Lord to equip us and to remind us of our very faith, but then also to give us the courage to share this gospel message that we would be ready to share the hope that is within us, right? Those people ask, what is it? Why is it that you are so joyful amongst all the struggles that you have? And it's not like, well, because we're smoking something, or oh, it's because we drink Merkava and, you know, it just feeds our, uh, feeds our addictions. No, that's not the reason. There's a hope that's within us, and that hope is Jesus. But we want to be able to convey it in a way that uh, brings life to people. Um, and so as we look at the book of Hebrews, uh, for those who, who have read it before, um, it's just an incredibly beautiful book. Uh, the actual language behind it is quite uh, intense, uh, the, the ancient original language. It's a, it's a really well-written book. Uh, as we, many of us would know, we don't know who the author is, and so it's just the author of Hebrews who wrote it. 
Um, one, one famous old guy, he said, well, the one thing we are sure is that the Lord wrote it. And so we're like, okay, cool, that's fine. Um, and one day I think many of us are going to be going to the Lord and finding out this great mystery who wrote this book of Hebrews. Um, but it was written, uh, the earliest known reference is in about 96 AD, the earliest reference to the book of Hebrews uh, by Clement, I think it was. Um, and so there's, a, there's definitely a working of the Spirit through this book, and for those who do know it, it um, has really impacted many people's lives. Um, and we're trusting that this morning, as we look at Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2, uh, that the Lord would do a work in us. Are we ready for Him to do something in us today? We have to be open and available, trusting Him. And so in essence, if you read the book of Hebrews, the one thing that you will know is that the subject of the book of Hebrews is Jesus. It's Jesus. It is faith, but it's Jesus. And so that's the answer when you're running kids' ministry, as you know. Uh, the one answer to every question that is ever put to you is Jesus. That's the answer, right, kids? And so Hebrews, if anyone ever asks you, what's the book of Hebrews about? It's Jesus. There we go, Michiel, you did well. Well done. You'll get a gold star afterwards. And so this, um, this phrase, this basic teaching, which is used, um, the original Greek can literally be translated to the beginning of the word of Christ or the elementary word of Christ. It's the starting word, which is Jesus. And so that's what he's saying. We need to move on from that, but then re-emphasizes what that basic understanding of Jesus is, um, and so that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And so we want to avoid a lifeless task of building our foundations, yes, we don't want to build a religion. We don't want to build something upon which we walk, and it's just dead works. And so what he says is he senses this very thing. When he says, move on from these elementary principles, he grounds it in Christ, right? They're the elementary principles of Christ. And that's so important for us to remember because when we're sharing the gospel or we're reminding ourselves about the gospel, it's not removed from the person of Jesus, we are not just some religion. We don't just come and do this regular thing every Sunday and midweek. But there's actually a person involved here. And so Hannes, just that sense, pointing at everybody else, there he is, um, that sense that he had this morning, that when we engage with these things of faith, that it's supposed to draw us to this intimacy and this person of Jesus. I mean, that's so important for us. And so even as I speak this morning, I'm trusting and I've been praying for you all morning that the Lord would speak to you individually. It's not good enough to expound the scriptures well, that we want to do, but the point of it is an intimacy with God. And so the moment the Lord begins to speak to you, start taking notes. Those are really important notes. Let him speak to you. Let's trust that he has something to say to us because he is the subject of our faith. He's not just a random add-on. He is the very center and the absolute subject and point of all that we do. And so Paul summarizes this incredibly well in Ephesians 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 2, verse 19. And Paul understands this and he writes to the church in Ephesus and says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with who? Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place. And so when we look at the foundations of our faith and what it means to follow Jesus, he is the cornerstone, this very person upon which all that we engage with is built. And so Jesus 
being referred to as the cornerstone here is taken, obviously, from the Old Testament. It's taken from Psalms, um, as, as well as it's taken from Isaiah. Um, and we see Jesus referring to himself in Matthew 21, where he says, Have you never read in the Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so Jesus referring back um, to say that he is the one of whom it is being spoken as the foundation. Peter, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, um, he speaks to the rulers and the elders, and he affirms Jesus as the cornerstone as well in Acts 4. We also see Jesus uh, quoting Psalm 118. Uh, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. And what's the solution? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so salvation from God comes in the form and the person of Jesus. Obviously, the psalmist didn't know it was Jesus. He didn't know it was his offspring. But Jesus then quotes that psalm, basically saying, I'm the answer. I'm the one who the prophets and whom David predicted so many years before. It's all the Old Testament prophecies that point forward to Jesus. It's just beautiful how uh, Jesus was able to do that and to satisfy all the prophetic words from the Old Testament. It stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's what Peter quoted when he stood up to the leaders. And the last quote from Isaiah is, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And we spoke a few weeks ago about that 1 Corinthians 3 passage. I was just talking about the, that we get to water, we get to plant. But who is it that brings the growth? The Lord. We get to do stuff. We get to serve the Lord, but He's the one who begins to bring growth. And He's the one upon which all foundations need to be laid. And so the idea of Jesus being the cornerstone is throughout Scripture. That He is the cornerstone of our faith. He is the cornerstone of creation. He's the stabilizing force within the church, but also ought to be the stabilizing source in your life. Is Jesus that to you? And how do, how do we answer that question? Is Jesus, so the cornerstone was the stone that was placed. So anyone who's ever done renovations or actually built a brand new house, what they would do is they would lay the foundation and then put a cornerstone. And what that cornerstone does is it begins to set the direction for the rest of the house. Everything else is built in line with that cornerstone, and so that cornerstone begins to set the direction as to where and how the house is going to be built. And so everything would then be related back to that cornerstone. As we're building along, are we still in line with the cornerstone, or have we gone off a little bit skew? And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, if you look at the, the narrative of your life, has it been built upon the direction of Jesus, or have we built our own lives and gone, Jesus, please bless this? Anyone ever done that? done what you know you want to do, and then just ask for the miraculous blessing of the Lord upon it. And you know, there are many times He is incredibly kind to us and turns to good, those things which we've completely stuffed up. 
But the intention here throughout the Old Testament and all the way through to the New is that Jesus ought to be the one setting direction for our lives. He ought to be the one who's setting direction for this church. This is not the leaders going, hey, we've got some good ideas. This is no loud voices within the congregation going, hey, we've got this great idea. We have to build this church upon the cornerstone of Jesus. He has to be the one who sets the direction for us. And so is your life built upon the foundation of Jesus? Is it built upon the cornerstone of Jesus? Is he the one who you consult when you have big life decisions to make? Is he? Or do we just go ahead and go, you know what, Lord, just bless this thing. That's something you will need to answer. And so Ephesians 2 is going to help us to process this a little bit more. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. And so the first cornerstone we see Jesus is, is the cornerstone of adoption into the household of God. Jesus is the cornerstone of adoption into the household of God. And so the good news in one concise message, which is well summarized by Celia, is that reconciliation and peace with God is a free gift given to us, given to those who put their faith and their trust in the work of Jesus. Right? Simple gospel message. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try and work our way to God, but that if we put our trust and our faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that his death was sufficient to overcome sin and death, and we receive that by faith, we're saved. And there's a clip going around, and I think Steph mentioned it uh, last week, um, about this guy who says that the gospel message is only about faith. What is the other one? And repentance. Faith and repentance. Is that true, that the gospel is only about faith and repentance? The problem with that statement, it's a good statement, but what he's actually referring to is salvation is only by repentance and faith. But the gospel message is far broader than our moments of salvation, right? Because what happens if we repent and we're saved and God forgives our sins and that's the end of it? What happens tomorrow? We find ourselves sinning again, right? We find ourselves completely going back to the ancient Adam way. But what's part of the gospel message is prophesied through Isaiah. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, which will cause you then to lay aside your idols and begin to walk in obedience to God. And so the gospel includes that part. So he's not wrong by saying that only through repentance and through faith that we can be saved, but it's not the full gospel message. The full gospel message is that Jesus is also returning one day to come and wipe all of these tears away. Anyone want that? That's part of the gospel message. And so it's a fuller picture, but Jesus is the cornerstone of that because part of that picture is not that we're just saved, but that we're adopted into the family of God. And that, for many of us who've walked a long road with the Lord, I think we can take for granted. That we've been incorporated into the family of God. There are many lonely people in this world. Many, many lonely people. And are trying to find that sense of belonging. They're trying to find that sense of togetherness from human beings, which is a good thing. 
But ultimately, what they're looking for, right, is belonging to God. They're looking for a togetherness. They're looking for a reconciliation with God. And that's the good news, is that there is reconciliation to God. And the good news is that you don't have to earn it. You just have to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. And that's the gospel message because Jesus is the cornerstone of that. The problem with that message is it excludes any other attempt at trying to get to God. And so, I don't know about you, but I want all religions to be able to allow people back to God, yes? Surely none of us don't want people to find a way back to God. But the problem is God says there is only one way. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that way. But the beauty is that in order to get back it to be adopted into the family of God, that there is a way. That's the good news. But Jesus sets the direction for that. Only by faith in him. Only by trusting in him. Only by repentance. That we come to be incorporated back into the family of God. And it is the terminology used there is in Christ. And so when we put our faith in Christ... There's that beautiful prayer of Jesus that he prays to God just before he's, um, when he's in the garden. And it's this, I don't know if you've ever read it, it's a really confusing part where I'm in you, you're in me, they're in me. It's just so confusing, everyone inside of everybody. But that is the idea that there's supposed to be such a union between us and Christ that it's quite confusing as to what's happening here. The Spirit is in us, but we're in Christ. And as we're in Christ, he's in the Father, so the Father's in us. It's confusing and we're the body of Christ so together we're in him but what it talks about is what Hannes was highlighting this morning is intimacy there is just such a closeness and that's the gospel message that Jesus the very cornerstone of is drawing us back to intimacy with the father and we can get to a place of going cool I'm saved I'm in this household I mean that's kiff I'm in this household but the point of the household is intimacy with the father because brothers and sisters can get annoying, yes? Hey, Seth. I think he nods. I didn't even ask him, and I see him nodding there. But it's intimacy with the Father. That is the point for us. And Christ is the cornerstone of that intimacy with the Father. And that is good news for us. It is great news for us. And we get to join the citizenship of all the saints, yes? Adam, Moses, I wrote a whole bunch of names down here. Rahab, Elijah, David, Esther, Peter, Paul. They're all our homies now. We're part of the same family. One day we're going to get to heaven. They're going to know us because they've been, I don't know how it all works. If they can watch what we're doing, if they can, some stuff's a little bit awkward. But I don't know how it works. But they're our family. There's a whole bunch of guys. D.L. Moody, Cyril of Methodius, Vladimir the Great, Anselm of Canterbury. Anybody know these people? They're your siblings. People through the ages who've put their trust and their faith in Jesus. And one day, we're going to get to meet them and hear about these incredible endeavors that they busied themselves with. As they stood upon that cornerstone of Jesus and were welcomed into this fellowship, into this family of God. Billions and billions of people who we don't even, haven't even met yet are our fellow brothers and sisters. And we're going to get to hang out with them one day. To be in Christ, our primary nationality becomes Christian. That's our primary nationality. Everything about us changes. No longer does our culture dictate. Our cultures are important and God's made us like that. But our primary culture becomes one of Christianity. 
And what that means is that the way that we do things, the things that we value, are aligned by the cornerstone of Christ. And so when we come and be part of this family, we have to learn not to engage with this Christian family in the way that we learned. Any parents here ever done a perfect job? Thought not? Yaku, good man. <laughs> That's a very loud laugh there from Anton. But none of us have done it perfectly. So what does that mean? It means there's a lot of undoing and unlearning that we have to do. And so our parents try their best. We try our best as parents. But our new way of parenting our children comes from the cornerstone of Christ. We get to be part of this community and teach them to be part of a family that Jesus redeems for us. Many of us have come from messed up families. Many of us have messed up our families. But the Lord is incredibly kind. The Lord is incredibly kind. And if we will center ourselves upon that cornerstone and say, Jesus, my family is in your hands. You've got to help me to align this family. You've got to help me to show them how family ought to be. And part of that being that we have now an extended family that we get to lean on. We get to seek counsel from. We get to get parenting tips from. We get to get business tips from. When we have big life decisions to make, we have a family around us that we get to seek counsel. But what we want from them is godly counsel. Not, Audrey, so great with motorbikes. I need some counsel on motorbikes. No, no. The decisions we need to make is that, Audrey, I need you to access the Father for me on, on my behalf in this moment. That together in unity as a family, we can align whatever it is that you're busy with on the cornerstone of Christ. For all of us, it's about aligning and becoming part of this new citizenship and having this new family around us, brothers and sisters. And it's a good thing. Many of us have had broken examples of family. And I'm trusting that as this is Liberty Family Church, that the Lord would redeem families in this church. The Lord would bring His healing and His sanctifying work upon our families. Because it's hard. Family is difficult. But as we center ourselves on the cornerstone of Christ, we get Him to help us align. Because without Christ, we're enemies of God, right? Without Christ, we're enemies. And so we, we don't want to be enemies of Christ. We want to be part of this community. We want to be part of the fellowship of God. And as we're in Him, we then get to be in that family of God. And, and our job is to share that good news with others that they may be welcomed into this fellowship with the Father. It's not about people joining liberty as being centered in Christ means joining God. And you get to have brothers and sisters in the Christ, which is wonderful. But we've got to draw people to Jesus. That's what we have to do. Draw people to Jesus. And he will join them to his body. He is the head. And so we strive as this community to be a spiritual family that is grounded in Christ. And so firstly, Jesus is the cornerstone of adoption into the household of God. Secondly, he's the cornerstone of the apostolic and prophetic teachings. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Not just the foretelling of the cornerstone of the prophets. So they were foretelling about Jesus, right? The apostles got to see the very thing that the prophets had been anticipating and had been seeing. These I will bring to my holy mountain, writes Isaiah, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. 
And so all of Israel knew that until the apostles got to see that, right? Remember Paul going out and just suddenly, hey, actually, Jesus is including the Greeks in this. And everybody's like, what is going on here? And it's actually just a fulfillment of the prophets. And so Jesus, the story, the gospel message, is built upon that foundation of the prophets, but then also the apostolic teachings. And that's why the early church, and why we're so adamant to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. Yes? Christ is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so if we're going to build anything of value in this church, surely we ought to build ourselves upon the same things. We can't be making stuff up. And there's many churches, and the Lord, they are His, and I'm trusting that people are still being touched and moved, but are building churches upon personality. They're building churches about what's going to impact their culture. And those things may sound good, but are they built upon the foundation and the cornerstone of Christ? That's for them to decide. We need to have a clear conscience before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, we're not building a church based upon personalities here. We're not building a church based upon smoke machines. We're building a church based on the cornerstone of Jesus. And he will set the direction for us. And our job is to keep each other accountable in that, to make sure no one's getting egotistical and big head around stuff and just wanting to move on in their own stuff, but ensuring that we stay with Jesus at the center and the one who sets the direction for us. Through the apostles, this Messiah is revealed as being Jesus, and so obviously from Isaiah there. But then Jesus says something even bigger than just Isaiah. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What he's saying is that every single scripture that was written points to Jesus. That's why our kids' church has the right answer. What is the scripture about? Jesus. What is that? Jesus. Jesus is saying that everything that was written, which is anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, is about Jesus. And so as we go through, you may have seen lists like this before. This is one I came up with. It would actually do you well to do it yourself. And so it's not completely concise. But if we look at all the books of the Bible, Genesis, we see Jesus as the promised seed who will defeat sin. Exodus, the Passover lamb. Leviticus, Jesus is our high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. Numbers, he's the water from the rock or our sustenance in the wilderness. Deuteronomy, he's the prophet greater than Moses. Joshua, Jesus is the captain of the Lord's hosts. Judges, he is our judge and our lawgiver. Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. Samuel, he's the anointed king and the root of David. Kings, Jesus is the king of kings and the miracle worker. He is the son of David and the eternal king. Chronicles, Jesus is the God who seeks to heal his land. In Ezra, Jesus is the faithful scribe. Then he's the rebuilder of all that's broken. He is our advocate. He is our living redeemer amidst suffering. He's our shepherd and our song in the night. Jesus is the wisdom incarnate in Proverbs. He's the goal of all pursuits in Ecclesiastes. He is the lover of your soul, Song of Solomon's. Jesus is the suffering servant and mighty God. He is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is the weeping Messiah. Jesus is the Son of Man in Ezekiel. He's the Son of Man coming up in the clouds of heaven in Daniel. He is the faithful husband in Hosea. He is the one who pours out his spirit in Joel. In Amos, Jesus is our burden bearer. He's the judge of those who do wrong in Obadiah. That's a book in the Bible, actually. He's the God of second chances in Jonah. Jesus is the one who rules with justice in Micah, and he is our refuge in the day of trouble. He is also the God of our salvation. He is the warrior who sings over us. He is the desire of all nations. He is the pierced son in Zechariah. Jesus is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. 
In Matthew, he is the Messiah King. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he's the Son of Man. In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he is the ascended Lord who is building his church. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. Then he's our resurrection. He's God's yes and amen. Jesus is the end of the law. He's the cornerstone and the head of the church in Ephesians. He's the God who meets our needs. He's the fullness of the Godhead. He is the coming king. Jesus is our Lord and the restrainer of evil. He is the mediator between God and man, and he is the righteous judge. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. Jesus is the equalizer, the one who breaks barriers. In Hebrews, he is supreme over all things. He is fully human and fully divine. He is greater than Moses. He is the promise of our Sabbath rest. He is the great high priest, and he's the perfect high priest. Jesus is the giver of wisdom. He is the chief shepherd. He is the morning star. He is the life. He is the light. He is our love. He is the truth. He is the name above all names. He is the one who is able to keep us from falling. And finally we land with him being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is throughout the word. When he says all of these things are pointing to me, they are not vaguely pointing to him. He is the very substance of this word. And that's why he's built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, because this is more than just mere words on pages to us. As we read this, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings and to the scriptures, we find the person of Jesus. We don't find the life in here. He says, let this thing point you to me, but come to me, that you may have eternal life. And so every moment that we sit and someone opens up the scriptures to us, let's not be in a place of going, oh, I understand the scriptures more. No, I now see Jesus in there. Let that be our response. I now see Jesus. There's many of the old uh, pulpits in England. Uh, there's that phrase from the, from the Gospels where it says, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Remember that when the, when the foreigners come to the disciples of Jesus and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And there are many pulpits that have that printed on them. Because that's what people, we want to see Jesus. We don't care about how clever you are. We don't care how well you know your ancient Greek. We want to see Jesus. That is our call as sons and daughters of God. When people come to engage with us and want to know what the gospel message is, what do we present to them? Not the five steps of how to get saved. We present Jesus. You want to be with him? This is how you do it. But it's Jesus. There's a returning to God, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship that people are after. We don't invite people to religion. We can't. People will come. People will come because religion's easy. You just tick a few boxes, people give you a pat on the back, awesome. Until we stand before Jesus one day and he says, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And these are guys who are performing miracles, raising the dead, casting out demons. What's his desire? To know us. To know us. He wants to know us intimately. And so Jesus is the cornerstone of everything that we read. And so when you open up the scriptures, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, look for Jesus. He's the cornerstone. Not just to increase our knowledge that is important, but we want to find Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church itself. Jesus is the cornerstone of this gathering. I'm not the cornerstone. The elders are not the cornerstone. The Lord may take us tomorrow. We do not know. Jesus is the cornerstone 
of this church. In him, says the writer, says Paul to the Ephesians, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It sounds very similar, right, to that engagement with Peter and Jesus where uh, Jesus says to Peter, but who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This church is built upon the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is the cornerstone of this thing, which he says, I will build. Do you know you don't have to build this church? Is that not comforting to you? You need to be faithful. We need to be about following the Lord and walking in obedience, but we don't have to build this church. Jesus is building his church. And he does a far better job than any of us could. May this church continue to be built upon the cornerstone of Jesus. Let us never waver from that. We're going to grow and things are going to happen, but let us always stay. Looking back, are we still online to that cornerstone? Are we still building on that cornerstone of Jesus? Have we shifted to some weird doctrines? Have we shifted to some other weird stuff that we're trying to accommodate the culture with? Or are we staying strictly adhered to Christ? Unless the Lord builds the house, We will all labor in vain here. We might build something that looks lacquer. But the holy fire of God is going to come and test us one day. And about the ceiling, I'm not so sure it's going to handle. But may what the Lord has done amongst us as a people be a pleasing aroma to Him. And I trust that it is. I really do. God put this power to work in Christ, Paul writes earlier in Ephesians, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, as we read through all of those books and see Jesus in there, he is above all and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And then he puts all things under Christ's feet. This is how authoritative and sovereign and mighty he is. And then makes him the head over all things for the church. For us, he is the head over all things. Which is his body. What are we? We are, just let this sink in, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Us gathered here are the fullness of Christ on earth. I mean, if you look around the room, you're like, Lord, is this all we have? Like, seriously. Is this what you look like to the world? But the power that raised him from the dead is able to work through these ragamuffins sitting here. Which is encouraging to us that the Lord would use us. Simple fishermen. I don't want the clever guys with all the funny head stuff. Just give me the fishermen. who don't know anything and are willing to go, oh, let me try to walk on water. No one's ever done that before. That's who the Lord wants to use. If he is this foundation, if he is this cornerstone, then we get to see really awesome things like that take place in people's lives. But the awesome thing is that he is the cornerstone. That's the actual win. All the rest that happens, cool. You'll do greater things than me. Awesome. But don't celebrate in that stuff. What do you celebrate in? The fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The fact that our lives in this church is grounded on Christ, that's the celebration. That's the real miracle. Because to follow Jesus is not flashy. It comes with suffering. Ooh, let's sign up for that. Right? No one signs up for that unless Jesus calls them. 
Unless he's the cornerstone of our lives. And if he's not, suffering is going to be incredibly difficult for us. Suffering is going to be hard if Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life. But if he is, that suffering gets to shape us into his image. He even redeems suffering. And he's going to redeem death one day. The one thing, a lot of people would say this, they don't fear death, they fear the way that they're going to die. Oh, bless them, I agree with that. But death itself, what does that do? Ushers you into the presence of God. All of the suffering goes away. It's going to be our last little suffering. It's going to happen. And then we get to see the perfectness and beauty of living in communion with Christ. And we get to look around. There's myriad and myriad and myriads of people. And you know what? They're not all going to look like you. They're going to be different shades of brown and white. All around. All worshipping the same Jesus who will be the cornerstone of heaven. What a day that will be. But we get to build our lives now, this church, on this cornerstone of Jesus. And the last cornerstone is that Jesus is the cornerstone of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is the cornerstone of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in whom you also are built together. But we're not just built together sitting on chairs here. We're built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Does that not blow your mind? That God would want to be with us. It should blow our minds on the one hand, but it shouldn't blow our minds on the other hand because that was always God's intention. What did he create Eden for? Because he liked flowers? No. It's because he wanted to live and walk with Adam and Eve. And then we stuffed that one up. And so what does he do? I still want to be with my people. Moses, this is how you're going to build this weird thing we're going to call a tabernacle. How's this going to work, Lord? Don't worry, just build the thing. And he builds it, and God presences himself with his people. Just before that, the saddest moment when God says, come up the mountain, what do the people of Israel say? No, no, Moses, you go up. Completely missed the point. God wanted to be with his people. God doesn't want to just be with Moses. He wants to be with his people, and so he gets them to build a tabernacle. That then gets to move, that Ark of the Covenant gets to move to be with the temple, presence of God. Then that gets destroyed. So what does God do? What's his last attempt at presencing himself with us? Jesus, the person of Jesus, builds his own temple out of human flesh and goes to live in it. And no one can destroy this temple. As it walks amongst us, integrates with us, identifies with us, bleeds like us, dies like us overcomes sin and death like us because of that same Holy Spirit that is given to him. He then dispenses to us because without that Holy Spirit, that's not the full gospel message. We'll still die. But as he dispenses his Holy Spirit, Jesus, the cornerstone of saying, I need to go because it's better that I go, that I can send the Holy Spirit to come and be with you. And as he does that, we're built up into this body this holy temple that God presences himself with. And the beauty is that when he encourages his disciples, he says to them, where two or three are gathered, I'm with you. What does that mean? It means that when we're going through a really tough space or persecution comes and this church gets separated and split in pieces, as long as there's two people, God presences himself, actually presences himself in them. I mean, that's crazy that he would do that. 
But what he's basically saying is, I don't care about the fancy fare. I don't care if there's 20,000 people in a stadium or not. If there's two people, I will presence myself there. Sure, if there's 20,000, that's great. He still wants to be with all of his believers, and one day there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people worshiping together. But he's saying this isn't about how you feel. This isn't about whether you can get the words right. This isn't about whether you can get the sound right. This is about him saying when you come together, having Jesus in my name, having Jesus as the cornerstone of your gathering, I'll presence myself there. You are my new living temple. But the Holy Spirit must dwell within us, and that's where that Jesus in, uh, Holy Spirit in, God in, everybody's, and then he's in us, dwelling in this holy temple called Liberty Church. But what that also does is it lifts our respect for one another, Right? I can't just be offended with Audrey and not sort it out because this is the holy living temple of the Lord. And he does not like this unity. The reason he died was to restore unity between us and God and between one another. And so when there's disunity, grieving of the Holy Spirit. And that's the one thing that he talks about, um, Paul, when he writes about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The entire context around that is disunity amongst people. That's the grieving. And as Jesus pours his spirit out amongst us, we get to be a people who have Jesus as our very cornerstone in all that we do. Because if the Holy Spirit's not given to us, I will not make Jesus the cornerstone of my life. I can't. There's too much other stuff that I depend on. There's too much other stuff that's right in my face that I want now. I want a better handicap. I want to surf better. And I'll give all my time and energy to that unless the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And says that's not as important as having Jesus as the cornerstone of your life. Your golf, your business, your family, everything else comes out of that space of being centered and cornered on Christ. He gets to set that direction. And so when there's an opportunity for a new job, it is not unwise for us to go, Jesus, is this of you? But they're paying more. Surely it's obvious. I can tithe more. Surely it's obvious. It's not obvious. What's obvious is obedience to Jesus. So we can get brothers and sisters around, and Michiel was so great with that. When he went through times of moving jobs, got brothers around him and said, this is the opportunity, I want you to pray about this and come give me feedback. It wasn't just, oh, there's better pay, and I don't think there was better pay. But he entrusted himself to the body, containing the Holy Spirit, unity, saying this is a holy thing, Jesus is the cornerstone of my life, I'm not just chasing jobs. I'm not just chasing a spouse. Jesus, is this of you or not? And that's Jesus, the cornerstone of all that we do. And so before we start looking at the rest of those basic gospel elements, they have to come from a place of Jesus being the cornerstone of our lives. Otherwise, repentance from dead works, faith in God, washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment just become theological doctrines that we get to understand. Cool. But when Jesus is the corner and center point and the cornerstone and the director of our lives, those concepts begin to have a base upon which they can work. We can share to people, why do you have to repent? Well, Jesus. Why, where do you put this faith? Jesus. Why are we washing? Jesus. Eternal judgment? Don't worry, we've got Jesus. May the Lord take this Ephesian scripture and root Jesus again as the cornerstone of our lives.
May this have been a moment for many of us who've walked with God for a long time to just re-look back. And this isn't, should hopefully not be news to any of us, but should be just going, actually, you know, I've got some tough decisions ahead of me this week, Lord. There's some stuff I'm struggling with, and I want you to be the cornerstone of this. And for the kids who are starting their journeys with the Lord, we've got to be helping them from a young age set the trajectory of their lives on the direction of Jesus. Not on what we want, right? Try and, otherwise Mick would try and get his kids to be the best surfers in the world. We live surreptitiously through our children. No, Jesus, this is yours. What would you like me to do with it? And how do we set it up, him or her, in the direction that the Lord has for us? And so may God take what we've heard today and may he force us back into relationship with him. May it convince us that this is more than just doctrine, this is more than just words on a page, that Jesus being the cornerstone of our lives is what dictates and determines whether our lives are going to be successful or not. Not your bank account, thank the Lord, for many of us. Not my handicap, thank the Lord. But at the end of the day, what's going to be asked and measured of us is, was Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Because if he is, then you can spend 20 years in jail and still be pleasing to the Father. Yeah, but I wasn't able to impact anyone's life. Jesus was your cornerstone. Writing some letters just to encourage some people. Here it is. Holy Spirit-empowered stuff that gets to impact our lives now. Paul didn't know that was going to be Scripture. He just wrote it. Jesus is the cornerstone of my life. I'm struggling. Cool, but here's an encouragement for you. And we get to be the beneficiaries of the power of the Holy Spirit working into our lives through these words, which would be dead without him. So, Heavenly Father, as we continue through the rest of these gospel basics, Lord, I ask that you would be returned to the cornerstone of all of these aspects of our lives. Lord, left to us, we will continue to idolize anything other than you. But Lord, by your Holy Spirit, which you are the cornerstone of delivering and giving to us, I ask for a fresh pouring out of your Spirit upon all of us now. Lord, you poured your Spirit out on John the Baptist, even in his mother's womb, and so I ask that you would even pour your Spirit out upon these children here present with us now. That from a young age, Lord, that they would assign their lives to the direction of the cornerstone of Jesus. Lord, let it be easy for them. Not to be taken by the lures of this world, but to be so profoundly impacted by your cornerstone that they shape their lives, they align their lives to you. And for us who've walked with you for a while, Lord, I pray that we would just look back again at the cornerstone and say, are these things in line with you? Have I built something that you did not as the great architect design? And must I make adjustments to it? But Lord, we know that you are incredibly kind and that you work all things to good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So Lord, would you enable us to remember your simple, basic gospel message? Lord, would you put sandals on our feet with the readiness of the gospel that for those who are desperate for you, that we would be the messengers of this good news, that they can be reunited with you, they can be reconciled to the Father. Lord, we are so grateful that you are the cornerstone and we are not. We are so grateful that you are the cornerstone of our lives, of this church.
of all of humanity, of all of creation. You were there in the beginning. And I ask, Lord, just for a recalibration for all of us going forward. We thank you for the start of the evening service this evening, and I ask also, Lord, that you would be the cornerstone there. Would we not just try to have fancy different expressions, but would we rather just be exploring avenues of helping people find their lives cornerstoned on Jesus? Whether they meet in the morning, whether they're meeting in an evening, Jesus, you are the point, you are the cornerstone, you are the center. And so we recognize and remember that now as we take communion and entrust ourselves into your hands, Lord. We love you. Amen.